Hello, welcome back to One Street Over. Uh, we're back after like a month, and today it's just me and Mike. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. Um, Bryce and I haven't talked in a while, so we have some random topics to just talk about with each other today. <laughs> well, I wanted to start off with the new Spider-Man movie that came out a little bit like over a month ago, and you've seen it, right? Yes. And I think I saw it like a week and a half after opening day and you saw it like opening weekend right uh, i think it was like a week later and there was no clapping in my theater but i think you had some in yours yeah which... even though it was a week later it was still like full yeah i really wanted theater. i really wanted to hear people clap but never got to and uh i think just watching the movie and then i listened to the popcorn theology podcast on it which was really good they like had some really good connections to theology and then just some really good analysis in general because i wasn't too happy with the film like i thought there was too much dialogue and too much going on for like a superhero movie but they were like oh no this movie was like actually really good if you like think about it well i think all like third iteration movies suffer from that have you seen like spider-man 3 yeah with, i mean that's even worse well that was bad because of the acting was bad well this acting was good but it's still like i think could have done better in some certain places i think having that many superheroes and and actors though in a movie for uh on no way home like they did it i think they did a good job like keeping it all kind of tied up yeah it just felt like there was never like a moment for him and mj to like grow in their relationship or like there wasn't like the little stuff in the movie like yeah his aunt may was in the movie but like she just dies oh spoiler <laughs> <laughs> oops <laughs> um well we yeah i think that's true i think all the movies suffer from that that there's just not enough like him and mj um spider-man the first spider-man trilogy with toby mcguire is better with that it's like yeah their relationship has like a big part yeah the whole even though it's really like eye rolling <laughs> there's there's more of that and and that's the thing we're gonna get to this but like that was kind of more true to form spider-man was like how he's just a normal guy trying to make things work with his girlfriend mm -hmm. but he's also a superhero versus like tom holland spider-man is so has so much going on well before he even got a movie he was already like he was introduced to the mcu in civil war and so he was already overhyped and like over like everyone knew who he was already so then he came in and it was like he didn't have to struggle right uh i thought that was interesting though because like i don't think anyone really wanted a new origin story for spider-man because it's already it's already been done mm -hmm. so i i like that um i don't think he's not my favorite spider-man though yeah so i have a few questions for you um i guess starting off well starting off with which spider-man movie was the best in your opinion um uh, i would say spider-man one or spider-man two yeah, my favorite is spider-man two i think it was like the most complete spider-man movie yeah where like beginning to end there's a defined villain and then he's got his friend who is like also a 
antagonist almost in the story. And so he's like battling between his friend and Doc Ock the whole time. Yeah. And it just felt like a complete plot and there was nothing left out. And that one, that one was my favorite. And I think I'm also biased because that was like the first time I had seen Spider-Man was those first two movies with Tobey Maguire. And those were ended up being my favorite. Right. I think that's also why I'm biased. Also, though, interestingly, Spider-Man 2, the video game, is like my favorite um besides like the the newest like spider-man video game came out on ps4 that one's really really good but (laughs) before that when the games were based off of the movies Uh like spider-man 2 being based off of a movie actually was a good video game versus like usually when games are made off of movies they suck so interesting i I loved playing that uh that game on my playstation 2 uh so then who do you think embodied spider-man the best as an actor uh, so I've said this for a while, like, and I, I don't think Tom Holland has changed my opinion. I think Tobey Maguire plays a better Peter Parker, and I think Andrew Garfield plays a better Spider-Man. Um, I like Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man because he's like witty and like talks mm-hmm. back to the to the bad guys. And yeah, they mentioned that in the in the Popcorn Theology podcast. Well, I guess my answer would be I think Andrew Garfield is like the best embodiment of spider-man yeah in both ways like peter parker and in the suit i like him a lot i think he does like he does have better peter parker qualities as in like he's intelligent um andrew garfield is because he's like has to make his equipment and stuff and Tommy mcguire doesn't never, never does that but he's not nerdy like he's he's like skating around school and looks super cool and then some guy will be like nerd and it's like Actually, he's like kind of cool. I don't know why everyone's picking on him. Because <laughs> right. he has glasses, I guess. <laughs> well, and like what you said about his wit, his wit when he's like fighting enemies. I think there's a scene in like Spider-Man, the first one, where like a guy pulls out a knife and he's like, "Oh no, small knives!" Oh, and the amazing <laughs> my biggest <Spider-Man>. weakness. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and so like his like character and his dialogue is is just funnier and better. And Tom Holland, I think. He's like okay, but he's just almost too like childish. Like there's no like wit or like um what do I call it? Like a solo character who's like against the world yeah. kind of mentality. He kind of like since like you said Tom Holland Spider-Man was introduced into like the Avengers. Yeah. He kind of kept that mentality of like wide eyes wide open like what is going on like in the world and like all of his movies were like that it's like something oh, yeah, crazy is going on he's just like what do i do and there was never a moment of like peace where he could just like kind of be witty and do his own thing because i feel like andrew garfield's spider-man went from being made fun of and like bullied to being uh almost like antagonizing the bullies you know because he i think there was that scene where he like dunks the basketball and then so he's like slowly like building himself up as like a i don't know some kind of like almost like an anti-hero where he's kind of like fighting like the good guys and the bad guys but because he knows he's better than everyone so he's like kind of building himself up as maybe i don't want to say this (laughs) maybe it's wrong completely wrong view of (laughs) spider-man but uh i don't know that's just how it felt to me and Tom Holland, like you said, is like always super innocent and super wide-eyed and like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. 
and I should ask Tony, but Tony's dead, and now Aunt May's dead, and now everyone's dead. <laughs> it's like, so, well, so like he never like grows up though. He's yeah. like always a child. Well, I think they. I don't know if they're like gonna be doing more vi- movies with him, but like like you were saying, yeah, he is. He's got like three more. Okay, because like he, they kind of rebooted him with with No Way Home. Right. Um, there's they, everyone forgot him, and now he's well, gonna like start. He from came in in one. Civil War, got under Tony Stark. Tony Stark just starts giving him all this suits and equipment, and then he's got the spider legs on his back, and then the nano suit. And he's just too overpowered. And like when you have a character that's too overpowered, it's like really hard to write around that as like a movie, which is why Superman is so hard to build around just because he has like no weaknesses. Yeah. And so what they did at the end was they found a way to basically reset Tom Holland back to being a kid with no suit. He's going to have to sew his own clothes again, like Tobey Maguire does. He's probably going to have to build his own webs from his chemistry lab (laughs) well he said he he did that already right like they knew how to do it but he had technology that made it fit into his like nano sleeves yeah (laughs) so now he's got to like have bulky stuff on his wrists again yeah and so basically they just made the character able to start over from scratch and kind of build him up again yeah which is good because I'm, and I, I didn't realize that until I heard it on another podcast oh. and I thought that was like super interesting like wow they did like reset him yeah I read it online somewhere too um, I think it's good they did that because I'm pretty sure Stan Lee's favorite superhero was Spider-Man um, he did uh, say that of his yeah. own and um, it's because like he's so relatable like he's just the the normal guy that is just trying to like balance life and also being a superhero. Well, I heard a reason I heard Stanley say actually why he likes it. And he said, it's because Spider-Man, we didn't realize it when we created him, but his suit covers every inch of his body. So like anyone could be in that suit, which is kind of how the whole spider verse idea came was yeah. that like boys, girls, or like, white or black kids could be in the spider suit and so then they took that and made all those like the into the into the spider-verse movie but even before that in the comics there was branches of spider-man that yeah came off of that concept and like i I watched an interview with stanley and that's why he said spider-man was his favorite and he was like we didn't even intend for that to happen but like that's why so many kids identified with spider-man yeah I definitely did growing up. <laughs> I would actually like in the in the narrow hallways of my house. I would like climb up the walls to the ceiling, like pressing my feet and arms against the walls. My parents would be like, "What the heck are you doing?" I definitely remember friends talking about Spider Man more than any other. It was like Spider Man or Batman, I think. Yeah, and like I think it still holds that like those two are two of the most popular. Well, they both have the most movies now, still. <laughs> yeah, and. Well, and like Batman has a mask and he's just a normal guy. He just has money. So it's like both are pretty easy characters to identify with. Yeah, that's true. So now uh, I want to transition to our actual topic tonight, which was Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) And well, we could talk about the inner monologue stuff that you wanted to do first 
Oh, I don't even really, I don't even remember the video. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> it was something about like people have, when they read text, if they have a voice in their head or not. And we were going to talk about it in conjunction with Stockholm syndrome, just because of the way that people convince themselves or like the way that people talk to themselves. So maybe we'll touch on it later, but Stockholm syndrome. So do you, we listen to a podcast from, it's actually called you're wrong about, and, uh, it's by two writers of newspapers somewhere. <laughs> and, New York uh, times. No, one was a Huffington post and one's like just a freelance writer. Oh yeah. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because I've heard the term and like we use the term a lot in society, but the term actually comes from a very specific set of events and then it kind of doesn't relate to anything else <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's just overused and like generalized and uh, applied to situations that don't actually match the same situations that the term arose from. So, do you remember where it started, or so, do you know where it started? Wasn't it? It was it Sweden. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stockholm, Sweden. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so there was like a bank robbery, I think. Yeah. And they were holding hostages, and they. I think it was like six days. Oh, okay. And uh, over the six days, the captor, the captives, the hostages began to empathize towards their captors and like i think one of them called the prime minister of sweden from the bank and then was telling them like please don't hurt the captors like i actually agree with what they're saying and it was diagnosed by this guy who was a psychologist in sweden and uh just termed it stockholm syndrome and then I think it was even more than empathy though. Cause like there's a difference between like, okay, these guys, these people are robbing the, the bank and I kind of empathize, empathize like they're poor and need money. So I get where they're coming from. It was that that's not Stockholm syndrome. Like the crazy thing about it was that it was, they were, these people in Sweden were like on their side, basically. Like, I mean, they weren't doing anything, but it's like they, they looked up to the captors as like their protectors because they were somehow convinced that like the police were going to hurt them and the, and the captors yeah. were being very, very like nice to them. Um, like, I think the weirdest thing was like the, was it some girl started her period or something and they like demanded from the police, um, like materials, like help her. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like very bizarre. I think, yeah, it just came down to like people realizing they're all human and then identifying with each other's needs <laughs> and it was like well we're trapped here so we need help and then it was like the only people who could help were the cap the captors <laughs> so I, I, it's like weird but like yeah they came out of it agreeing with what the captors were demanding from the police and from the bank instead of coming out and then immediately turning on the captors like you would expect hostages to do yeah so why did you <laughs> find interest in this in the first place um it was because so in 2020 when covid started i didn't go to the office for a really long time and then i think finally like in the late summer or early fall 
I went back to the office and I was going in there like every day. And I told a friend, I was like, oh man, I missed being in the office. And he just said, Stockholm syndrome (laughs) back to me. (laughs) And I was like, what? How? And then I like looked up a closer definition of it. And it was like, when you identify with your captors and like, so then I started thinking like, okay, yeah, like I do come to this building every day and I spend eight to 10 hours here. And, uh, so you are kind of being held captive and especially at a place like cat where, you know, I'm five minutes from my car. So I don't really ever leave the building to go out to my car or anything. And nobody ever like really leaves to go to get food either. Cause it's like at least 15 minutes if you want to drive somewhere to get food. So it is kind of like you're stuck there all day and you have everything you need within the building. And then it starts to just feel like home almost because you're, you're just spending so much time there. And so, and I like was thinking about it and I really did think that it was kind of a Stockholm syndrome effect for at least someone like me who had only been there two years at the point. Um, so, but you know, I had coworkers who have worked there for like 25 years and they are totally content to be at home away from the office, like for the rest of their career. <laughs> and so I was wondering if it was a thing that affected young people more or if it just affected anyone at any workplace, like do people miss it because they feel comfort working and like having something to do or is it just someone like me who actually enjoys being at the office? <laughs> I'm going to say that that's like, I don't really think that's Stockholm syndrome and that kind of plays into how the term has become so broadened that mm-hmm. it doesn't really mean anything anymore. Um, cause it's like saying, well, I'm kind of miss high school, but like, I also had a good time in high school. <laughs> like another person would never say that. And it's like, you could say like, Oh, they just had brainwashed you and you were just their captors and in, in the education system. And it's like, well, like it was just fun. Like I, and it was like, it's a social thing. It's like, I like being with friends. I think you just like talking with people, talking with teammates at your work versus being yeah. isolated in home. I mean, all the other, a lot of coworkers have families and stuff that they get to be with at home. And at the time I was living at my parents' house. So, and my parents would actually leave and go to their jobs or my dad did. And then my mom would just leave every day and my sister would leave. So then I was stuck home alone and it was really, I mean, it sucks when you're just stuck in your room all day. And, uh, so we should be talking about cabin fever. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I think everyone's got that at this point, at least the people who actually isolated (laughs) and quarantined and stuff. Yeah. I think everyone, everyone is enjoying getting out when they can. I know that just from looking at all the like the football games and there's like you know no open seats anywhere because it's like i have nothing to do and i want to go do something even the bradley game this past weekend was pretty full and uh it was not when i was in college oh really (laughs) yeah um so i mean like you said is the term overused and i would definitely say Yes, it gets pretty applied generically to things like me going to the office and like my friend just said, 
it's Stockholm syndrome as a, as a joke. And then I was like, well, it kind of makes sense. (laughs) But then in reality, it's not, it's not really applicable because one, I'm not being held captive against my will and there's nothing for me to like start to identify with in terms of the, the office holding me captive. Yeah. Like there's no belief system that, I'm being held against my will and forced to believe that I end up starting to believe. So, so the term was used or the, like kind of when it started to be used incorrectly was this trial in the seventies. Um, yeah, it was Patty something. <laughs> so some like, I should get my facts. Right. Wasn't she like a hippie girl? And then she got, no, like, she was super rich. Oh, <laughs> and got, taken captive by like this band of uh like terrorists basically yeah and then forced to start to believe what they believe and like try and cause a revolution so there's like a famous picture of this girl after she had been kept went missing and was captured and then she shows back up and she's like holding a gun robbing a bank with this with this group of of terrorists and i think when she was captured by the police and then went to trial her lawyer was like trying to basically say oh she had stockholm syndrome because it was like she just adopted the the ideals of the of her captors because she was in prison for so long uh, uh, like captured for so long she was kept in a closet for 54 days i think and like (laughs) I mean, like, I don't know. I can't imagine, like, what that situation would have been like. However, I again, I think the issue was, like, well, did she just do it to comply and not be, like, murdered? Or, or did she actually have, like, Stockholm Syndrome where she, like, actually believed that they were on the right side, that they were there, they had her best interest in mind, and she, like, wanted to support them? Or was she just doing it? She had no other choice. Well, there's another option, too. And that would be this, that she was brainwashed after like being literally tortured for two months. Yeah. And, uh, like there's the definite difference between Stockholm syndrome and coming to these conclusions very quickly and being tortured and abused for two months. And then, (laughs) uh, finally being let go. And it's like, well, I do believe what these people believe now because it's been like ingrained in your brain so do you feel like that's damaging though to the judicial system to like start using a term like that like stockholm syndrome as a kind of escape from um justice i guess (laughs) or should it have just been like something completely different well so the the problem is that they they used it as a defense so the term had only been around for a year when this it was patty hurst was taken captive by the Simbinese liberation army and uh so it had, it had like the the actual phenomenon of stockholm syndrome at the bank in sweden had not been studied enough to be like a actual defense strategy for a 
person on trial. And so I don't think it was a good defense because of that. Like it had never been gone through testing and like being studied yeah. more. Uh, you probably don't know. Like, do you think since then now it's been used to just like get people off the hook of like, well, like I was just doing it against my will because I had no choice. Like I was just involved in the wrong group of people, but I, I had Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, I guess the kind of the problem is like Stockholm syndrome is like temporary where you just like start to identify with people that have taken you captive. And then once the situation and the tension like disappears, then you probably go back to feeling how you felt before. <laughs> um, but I don't think there's been any actual, what do you want to call it? Uh, like case studies or actual like good other instances of it other than this <laughs> one event in 1973 <laughs> <laughs> well when after like listening to this podcast about stockholm syndrome i thought about the giver <laughs> i also had been thinking about the giver because it was on my netflix <laughs> like suggestions uh -huh. <laughs> and i was just like thinking of there's a lot of other examples i think even like the hunger games and divergent where it's just this um uh what do you call it when it's like not dystopian dystopian society where people are just kind of like brainwashed into doing what is right but they're so like they're not living true life uh -huh. they're just kind of like brainwashed into these like perfectly placed lives to, that make everything work usually for the betterment of the rich um but they just don't know any different and so like the giver for anyone who doesn't know this is a book we actually read me and bryce read in grade school um it's like a dystopian society but there's actually no color nobody can see color they also don't have emotions they have feelings and every day at dinner you're supposed to like share your feelings <laughs> and you're not allowed to lie and then you also like take in a, well i think in the book it was you take a pill but in the yeah, in, in the, the in the movie it's like an injection uh, at the door when you leave and the medication like inhibits your emotions um, and inhibits dreams but the main character has like dream he has dreams and he starts seeing like colors in this black and light black and white world uh, he doesn't know why and then when they all get like their jobs he um he's chosen as the receiver he doesn't know why and then that's where the term the giver comes so there's like this old man who's like an elder of the society gives him memories of like all of humanity um and so he has to try to like figure out should i free people's minds or should i just continue on with this system did you enjoy the book or did you ever watch the movie yeah i've seen the movie and i remember liking the book in middle school because my mom <laughs> was the book club lady <laughs> or whatever we called it and so she would come in i don't know three times a week and do our hour of book club <laughs> with uh all the students <laughs> so i think she wasn't it called the like stirring pills oh no they called them the stirrings when you started having like it was basically when you were going through puberty because yeah. you started having like 
essentially wet dreams of a girl <laughs> and then like it was just like oh you're having the stirring so then he had to start taking these pills <laughs> and it just like blocked all those emotions but what were the pills called in the book oh i don't know I anyway i remember my mom pills. bringing in pez and that was the pills <laughs> that we would take every day <laughs> really yeah i don't remember that you know that's funny did um, anyone be like i'm not taking these <laughs> Like the main no, character. Everyone, <laughs> everyone wanted them. Oh, yeah, they were candy. Everyone wanted <laughs> Um But I do like... I like the concept of the book because I think the book's written so that a lot of people want to identify with Jonas and like his... He's like, the world is so trapped and I'm free. <laughs> and uh, so I think they want you to identify with him in the sense that don't just take society for granted and like the rules that are in place for granted or like not for granted but don't take it for what it is like try and understand it and see what might be behind it because like what's behind the rules in the giver is like repression and or oppression and just like repressing people's feelings and emotions which is bad yeah so it's weird that like so they get rid of emotions because they need to get rid of love um it, uh because like that's basically the what causes war i think or, or like just other emotions like is what causes war which causes death so they're trying to get rid of war and death by creating these pod societies and so like families aren't even families they're not even like married they're just family units they're just paired with each other to raise kids that aren't even their own kids like there's a specific job called birthing mother <laughs> which they don't go into detail about i think it's kind of gross and then those babies are like registered as like strong or weak and then if they're strong they go to a family and then it's just like that's how you're raised um we'll get into what happens to the weak babies later but it so like it's weird though that so the, so the goal is to get rid of war and stuff and then but then he finds out that in doing so and creating this society where they keep like perfectly made families and keep everyone's emotions at bay they're also getting rid of like flaws so they're getting rid of like old people and getting rid of the weaker babies um what is it what is the term they get released or something like that yeah you said um they're getting released <laughs> so it's like it's kind of like is this like logan's run sort of uh but like or no it's the, it's like the island but anyway that's another sci-fi movie but basically they like the babies that are weak or the the older people they just like inject them it's like assisted suicide well for the older people it's assisted suicide for the infants it's straight up murder uh -huh. and they just inject them and they go to sleep and die and they just put them in a like a shoe box and put them on a chute <laughs> and probably it's like, to be burned or something yeah and it's like um when jonas the main character figures this out his dad's actually one of the people who works in the nursery who does this and he gets really angry but um the giver his instructor is like you can't really be mad at him because he doesn't know what he's doing because they don't even know what death is and jonas is like so they're tr they're they're murdering people t to create a society because they're trying to get rid of murder like they're doing the same thing this is all just as evil as before uh which is why he ends up deciding to to leave and like him leaving ends up resetting um 
everyone's emotions and memories. I don't know why they don't explain it, <laughs> which is kind of annoying to me, but it's only like a, a hundred minute movie. So, mm-hmm. so you're connecting that because the people in the people in the society are, you think they have Stockholm syndrome <laughs> um, or that they have, or they've been brainwashed. No. Yeah. That's different. They've been brainwashed. Um, it was also weird. It's kind of like the the monkeys in the in the cage with a pile of bananas analogy, where um, there's like a pile of bananas in a, in a in a cage, and then there's a bunch of monkeys, and then like if a monkey goes and touches the bananas, they all get sprayed with a hose, and so eventually that group of monkeys stops going for the bananas because they realize they're going to get sprayed. And then they take out one monkey and put in a new monkey. And the new monkey goes and grabs a banana and they all get sprayed. And so then when the new monkey comes and tries to go get the bananas, all the other monkeys beat him up because they know what's going to happen to him. And so then that monkey learns, well, I can't touch the bananas because I'll get beat up. But he never knows that he's going to get sprayed with water. And then if you take out each monkey one at a time and they all beat up the new monkey because he goes for bananas, they don't know that they're going to get sprayed. They just are following the societal rules of... I, I, this is everyone will beat me up if I if I listen. Yeah, I I guess the the question of like Stockholm syndrome would be if they get their memories released and stuff, are they going to want to go back to the way things were under their captor or the society? Yeah, um, which I guess you could call Stockholm syndrome. But honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, like wanting to go back to being a captive. It's not really Stockholm syndrome. It's just like I want rules and regulations and someone to control me, <laughs> which isn't Stockholm syndrome because they didn't want to be captives. They just identified with the captors or yeah. like empathized with them. <laughs> and so it's kind of a weird. Now that I'm thinking about it more, Stockholm syndrome is not. It's not what people think it is. Yeah, it's like, oh, you have Stockholm syndrome because you want to go back to being a captive, quote unquote, or back to being a prisoner. But yeah. it's like, no, it's like just while you were a prisoner, you started to take on the beliefs of the captor. <laughs> so it'd yeah. be like somebody being in the society and then truly the, believing it, and the, then the people in Sweden when they were finally um, saved, they were like. So do you think that the other people, the bad guys were doing was wrong? And they still said no, even though, even so they were out of the danger, they were out of the situation and it wasn't like they supported them. It was just, they were, it was like asked, do you think what they did was wrong? And they're just like, no, because to them, it's like, they didn't do anything wrong. They took care of them and mm-hmm. were just trying to get by, I guess. So it's, it's really kind of bizarre, but yeah, I don't know. And the giver, they're not really like captives. Um, unless there's like some higher up like there's the elders but the elders don't even know why they're doing what they're doing they're just following the rules and they I don't think it's it. like what the monkey analogy you said yeah where it's like if you do it long enough then people just continue to do it because they don't know why some but they know that like deep down something bad's probably going to happen if they break the rules right yeah they cuz they don't know what death is so that they don't know what they're protecting the, themselves from in theory. Um, and it's like, 
I don't know if there was like higher ups watching the little like villages and just it was it was just an experiment. I think it was just the fact that like humanity did it to themselves to try to like keep peace. But like is peace worth it if you're like killing innocent babies and have this messed up system? How old is this book? It was written in 1993. Oh, it's not, not very old. <laughs> so it's, well, it's like it's 29 years old, I guess. When was, when was the Hunger Games written and like Divergent? Like, because I feel like they draw late from, 2000s. Yeah, I feel like they draw from The Giver. Or maybe The Giver draws from something else. I, I mean, everything's kind of based on something else. Okay, we're back. Um, just going to finish off this episode by talking about another movie and how it connects to all of this. Um, this is a lot of deep thinking, and I think we didn't think deeply enough before doing talking on deep thinking. <laughs> I was just like, let's talk about how crazy these topics are and then not know where we're going. Well, I guess for some background, since we're coming up with excuses... <laughs> We spent an hour and a half before this episode trying to get the audio settings fixed. And uh, usually we spend like 45 minutes talking about what we're going to talk about. And so I apologize if it seems like our thoughts are just thrown together here. <laughs> um, but thanks for being a loyal listener and listening to this point. So we're going to keep going. Um, another movie came out that was kind of a reboot. Uh, recently, and that was The Matrix Resurrection. Or Resurrections. Which they could have named Matrix Rebooted and it would have been perfect title. <laughs> well, the second one was Reloaded. <laughs> but not Rebooted. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, that movie was basically a repeat of the first movie, but with some elements that I don't know, were new and put a new twist on the story. Obviously, all the characters were a lot older. Um, but we were thinking about... We were just brainstorming movies that relate to being brainwashed or, as people think nowadays, living in a simulation. And The Matrix is kind of where the, all that thinking... Not necessarily started, but gave some real, like, almost theology to the belief that we're living in a simulation. Um and I saw it, um, I think the day it came out and, uh, I thought it was terrible <laughs> at first, <laughs> but then I listened again, plugging the popcorn theology podcast. I listened to it and they said, no, this movie's really good. If you approach it from the aspect of, I'm going to think about how this can relate to the gospel. And they were like, if you think about it like that, then the movie actually becomes like a really interesting mind bending story. Well, m most people's problem with the matrix in general is that it's all just about philosophy and like, what does it even mean to exist? And we live in a simulation and, and it's, it's so full of itself at this point. So it's like, I think wasn't resurrection, just a bunch of like callbacks to the original movie anyway. Yeah. And I think re reloaded was the same way. It's like, like that's why people are tired of the matrix at this point it's like it's just talking about itself and talking about how yeah so in the new one there's a video game called the matrix <laughs> in the matrix 
with Neo as like the star of the video game. <laughs> and so it's like, what? So they're literally mocking the old movie in a video game format in the new movie. And uh, I don't know if they're, I don't, maybe not, maybe not mocking it, but they're just calling back to it and using it for a lot of their source material. Hmm. So do you think people living in the matrix are, do you think the people living in the matrix know that they're living in a simulation? Um, no. However, and even if how they... would we know if we're living in a simulation? <laughs> well, I think that's the thing though, is even if they did know they were living in a simulation, they probably wouldn't care. <laughs> Right, because, I mean, A, there's nothing they can do about it, but, like, think about it now. The people today who think we're living in a simulation are, like... Well, okay, so I actually literally just heard Elon Musk talk about this. He said, if we live in a simulation, then real life, quote-unquote, is probably boring. <laughs> I think this was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and it was, like... Um, because when we make simulations, when we make video games and augmented reality and stuff, we're like sampling things from life that are interesting. We don't put in the boring stuff that nobody likes. We just make it interesting. So if our life is a simulation, then we're just a sample of the interesting things from something else, which is probably extremely boring. <laughs> yeah. I think it's when people talk about stuff like that, I don't think they, they can't ever come up with what could be more boring, you know? Yeah. So I feel like not being able to do that kind of proves that we're not living in a simulation because it'd be more like, have you seen the movie free guy? Yeah. It'd be more like that to me. If we were living in a simulation where the, the characters who are being, well, I mean it's, it's players, but like they can do whatever they want and like still get to survive and repeat every day. Um, less so in the matrix where it's like, if you die, you die, <laughs> but I don't really, we never really see like normal people's lives in the matrix. It's always the people who are trying to free other people or the people who are like starting to doubt their own reality. So we don't see like somebody who's totally content. Well, I guess that's, that's kind of what the new movie gets at is like Neo is struggling to, come out of like is this a simulation or like is this my life and i'm totally fine with it <laughs> yeah and that's what the analyst's character is trying to do is like keep neo believing that this is his life and that the matrix was just a video game that he totally like came up with himself and turned into a turned into a video game and made his money off of it <laughs> Have you seen it? No. Oh. So I watched a review about it. <laughs> what? I thought you had seen it. No. Um, wait, so how did they get back into the Matrix then, if he thinks that's his real life? He is in the Matrix. Or how do they get out of it, or per se? Um, or well, he, he gets contacted by people, and like they're just trying to tell him, hey, you have to, like, this is not real, um... And then I think what they do is they try and get him to uh, do something like try and fly again or like jump off a building. And like if he realizes that he can 
be the one again and control reality, yeah. <laughs> then he'll realize that he's still in the matrix. He's beginning to believe again. <laughs> Actually, they, what they do is they, they end up taking him to a house. So that does happen where they get him to jump off a building, but then I don't think he actually, it works. It doesn't work or something. And then they end up going to another house and having him take the red pill again. So they literally repeat that entire scene (laughs) and they have the old movie playing on a screen behind him as he's doing it, which is even dumber. That's so weird. That's stupid. So they have him 20 years ago on a giant screen taking a pill and then he's taking a pill (laughs) oh my gosh and then uh and then he wakes up you know in the in the real world where um it's just people being harvested for their energy oh so that's why people think that we live in a simulation though or we live in the matrix when they have things like deja vu yeah it's like oh like there was a glitch (laughs) however i think deja vu happens more when you have a monotonous life (laughs) yeah it's really it's really easy to be like hey that just happened like yesterday and it's like no it's been like two weeks your life is just so boring it is a very weird sensation do you ever do you get it very much uh yes i feel like i get the feeling that i have dreamed something and then it happens in real life and i'm like wait, I swear that I dreamed this happening and then it happens. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Do you ever have that? Uh, no, more for me is like, I dreamed that I did something and then the next day it didn't happen. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> I'm like, I actually like went downstairs when I lived at home as a kid, like being like, mom, where, where's all the donuts we bought? Yes. And she's like, we never bought donuts. And I was like, oh, I thought we did. <laughs> I guess that was a dream. <laughs> But the thing is, I can never remember the dream. I just have a feeling that it was something that I dreamed. Well, I think like, I mean, you know how like you just create neural pathways when you create memories and like, Mm -hmm. and that's why like, that's how you like study is like repeating the neural pathways. I think you're just, I think you're just going down the same neural pathway. And so it feels like this has happened before, but it's like really just the nerves are the same nerves are firing that so it just like gives you that sensation i could be wrong though i haven't looked into the science of it well that's one of those things that you can never prove it's like you can never prove that someone sees the same the color as you like that their red is the same as your red it's like yeah you can never see something from someone's perspective especially being called colorblind it's like how do i know that what i'm when I'm looking at this painting that I see the same colors as Mike does and it's like, well, we just have to trust that you do. Yeah. But then contrasting that to like that movie that we just watched the other day, uh, the sound of metal, um, you know, it's like, how do I know that I'm hearing the same thing that other people are hearing? Yeah. And, uh, to me, it made it pretty clear in that movie that like, we do see the same colors and we do see, hear the same things because when, they tried to simulate his hearing it just sounded terrible and like they couldn't they could not replicate how intricate and complex the human ear is with um like an implant you know right and i just thought of that um because like the human eye is the same way like everybody's is different but 
I think in general we are seeing the same stuff. Because how could you, and like yeah, like but like artificially cre- recreating an eye, it's, it's like so difficult. I mean, I guess we have cameras though, so maybe I'm wrong. Well, <laughs> we can artificially create an eye, but we just don't have a way. Like they have a way to create sound waves to send it into your brain, and that's what the implant was. But like, I don't think anyone's ever created a like bionic eye yet right because there's it's too complicated to figure out how to send color signals into someone's into someone's brain (laughs) i don't know it just like it it brings in like to topic like the beauty and the design behind creation yeah like how how intricate we were created and how creative god was in designing us yeah exactly that something so simple well something so simple in terms of like biology but it can be it's so powerful in like the fact that humans have never been able to replicate the things that god did with amino acids and proteins (laughs) right yeah i i just i'm i can't even fathom like how people think that this happened randomly (laughs) yeah like the beauty of the world and like and the beauty of the human body and how it works and everything like it's just a denial of it's a denial of god's power because it's just people being told oh well there's like a slight chance and i'm i've been reading a book about how small that chance actually is and then like the impossibility actually of the chance of (laughs) random creation (laughs) and uh it's just it's like it's just a rejection like if you choose to believe in the chance then you're just rejecting what is obvious and true in terms of we were designed by a creator who designed us to glorify him yeah i have one more topic which is uh so we were talking about people being brainwashed in the giver and so you could say that people are brainwashed in the matrix because um when they are told that they can reject the system and leave they choose to stay some of them choose to stay in the matrix because it's comfortable to them they don't want anything to change and they want to i don't know stay with what they know and not risk uh, their lives changing forever and so i'd say that's a pretty good connection to like what jonas struggles with in the in the giver it's like do i want to leave this system for like the purposes of an unknown world out there or do i want to stay with my family even though it's not really a real family yeah He's actually pretty... <laughs> he's pretty willing to leave because he knows it's all fake. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's still fear, right? I think he has... He's still yeah, afraid of... Well, yeah, there's a... When he starts getting the memories of war and pain, he's like, I'm done. Like, I don't want this job anymore. Because um, it's, like, too much mm-hmm. um, responsibility and too much, like, pain and sorrow. And he's like, well, he wants to quit, but then... I can't remember why he goes back, I think. I think it's because he realizes that his brother's missing or something. But so, wait. So, what was your last thing? 
Well, so it was just connecting the matrix to the giver. And then I found this post on the internet that was, um, because you could apply, like all these movies are trying to apply, you know, dystopian concepts to the entire world or to an entire society or a city. And then it's like, okay, well, let's think about what we actually have in here on earth. And it's like, well, we have societies like America that live under a capitalistic, um, economy. And then there's like the Soviet union 40 years ago that was under communism. And then there's still countries around the world under communism, like Cuba and, uh, Venezuela and, uh, China. And then, um, you know, you've got democratic socialist countries. And so all of these are different ideologies that are designed to try and convince the people that are living in them that this is the best way that human society can flourish and be on earth. And so when you grow up and when you grow up in that society, then you tend to just think that it is the best. And then, so I was just trying to connect it to what, what do people here on earth do when they're told that they could do something else? And then, but I guess to actually tie it in, I saw, I found this post that was like, watching the matrix is a metaphor for communism. (laughs) And, uh, so like everyone's given a job and they don't really switch jobs. And then the Neo is explained by Morpheus that the matrix is a system and that the system is the enemy and that the people who are stuck in the system need to be saved from it, but they're caught up in the lie and dependent on the system. So they will fight to protect it. And so you've got elements of like government, which would be represented by like the machines who are trying to keep the people from waking up to the truth. And then you've got the people who are like, no, this is the only way that I know. And it pleases me. And like, I don't want any, I don't want change. And then those would just, so those like actual people in a, say a communist society who uh, don't know any differently. And so they don't really know any better by not knowing more. And, uh, you could say that in the matrix, there's, there's probably very like propaganda news. Like people don't get to like choose what they watch on TV. It's like the system or like the matrix is showing them stuff that's keeping them in this state of being dependent on the matrix. Now we have the metaverse that's choosing to show us what it wants. Yeah. So if you go into a virtual reality world, then you, uh, you probably, no, I just mean social media in general. Oh, social media. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah. And it's like, it's all being slowly censored and curated. Yeah. So that you see what, um, the people who are running it want you to see. Exactly. So we all have a, have a choice and, uh, but I think it's pretty clear what systems work the best in terms of economies and 
uh, being able to pull people out of poverty and provide opportunities to people who had no opportunities um, based on their position in life when they were born or financial status from their family. Like you can truly rise and go anywhere with, within a capitalistic society. Yeah. Just depends on how hard you're willing to work. Right. Um, that was, that was my last big point. Um, I don't really feel like, uh, not that I don't feel like, I don't really feel like trying <laughs> to dig deeper into communism as a, <laughs> as a whole. Yeah. Not we yet. don't get paid enough for that yet. <laughs> also, we, we were on Spotify and Spotify could possibly remove our episode if they ever listened to it. <laughs> I was just going to mention, um, if you could try to look this up, it's some type of syndrome where like you can't, um, fathom that other people also have like a complete life story. Oh, I just saw this. Um, did you send it to me? No, it was like, there's no way that these 80,000 people at this football game go home to a family and like have their own lives that they live. Yeah. No, I saw a similar thing. It was like, this guy was in an airport and said the same thing. Is it like main character syndrome or something? <laughs> like it's something like you can when you think people think sorry people get stuck in th thinking that the people around them don't have a life and like family and friends just as complex as their own like when they see all these people in a crowded place it's just like these are all just like npcs this is all just <laughs> ai like random generated people that are not not as complex as me and then like when you get stuck in that thinking you're like that's when you can start thinking like this is just a simulation like i'm the only one who's real and stuff like that i think that goes away when you start actually just talking to people <laughs> i think the people who actually I mean, have this syndrome just don't know how to talk to people <laughs> well somebody posted on the picture that i saw and was like if you had to work at that stadium and clean out the bathrooms, you know that everyone there has their own life. Yeah. That they're not just NPCs. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's got to go along with, like in the Matrix, they actually, in the new one, they talk about how like 40% of the people in the Matrix now are bots. Oh, okay. And uh, so like there's humans, humans, quote unquote, who have like an actual brain outside that's being simulated um they'll be like married to a bot <laughs> and then they'll have like a child and maybe that child is a real human child that was like born and grown <laughs> in the fields of the the matrix world <laughs> or or it's just another bot <laughs> that they're like raising <laughs> because then in the movie they turn on somebody turns on swarm mode and so all the bots just start attacking um like the people who whose minds have been freed and so like one one couple wakes up and the wife starts screaming because the the dad is like a bot and he just jumps out the window <laughs> and like becomes a becomes a bomb quote unquote and just as they're trying to like land on the cars and break their cars <laughs> and try and like stop them from escaping 
I, I couldn't find anything online about um, a syndrome, <laughs> but I think it's more of a it's more like a popular thought thought experiment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it is an interesting thought experiment. Like, who could possibly run the lives of like a hundred thousand people who all go to this sporting event? You know, it's like well we know that God can. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's 8 billion people in the world. Um, but it just shows like how, how we think that we have total control of our lives, but, uh, really it's just, we're controlling one life and God's in control of everyone's. So we just find it hard to imagine, but yeah, you can have comfort in knowing that there's, a good God that has control even when things seem out of control. Yeah. And who's told you that he's in control through his word. All right. That's a good note. So do you think we're living in a simulation or a brainwashed society in dystopia? No. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was pretty clear. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to our podcast. We're happy to be back at it again. Um, as always, you can reach us by email at one street over twenty two at gmail dot com. Thanks, and, Mike. I don't <laughs> think you've ever said it. <laughs> I know that was the first time. Hey. Um, but yeah, uh, we always appreciate feedback. If you want to give us some ideas, um, or just talk to us in person, if you know us. So, thanks. Yeah, for- we'd love to have you on. And if you want to come on, we have a very short guest list right now, so we'll probably have you on. <laughs> All right. Peace. Bye.